Welcome to another episode of The Evolved Idiots. Today, I have Mr. Mark Cortez, a professor of uh, entrepreneurship and technology commercialization at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Uh, he's an entrepreneur who's raised $23 million for startups, including being the founder and CEO of Liquid 8, which is a water conservation project, something very imminently uh, needed here in California. He's also an author of uh, Climb Maturity, A Journey into the Muddy Climate Middle. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> I just want to preface here. So you, you're, you're a lot of different things. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Um, but you're not necessarily, I just want to make it clear off the, off the top, because I wanted to talk to you because of climate um, and climate related things. But I just want to make clear, neither one of us are climate scientists. <laughs> in, in, yes, in, 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 I'm definitely not a professional, uh, <laughs> anything in that regard. So, yeah. Um, but welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're not climate scientists, uh, uh, but that's part of... Um, Part of the thing that we're all wrestling with, which is it has been uh, um, sort of the realm of climate scientists and, and they're the only ones who are kind of really allowed to talk about it. And so uh, <laughs> that's part of this whole journey is is, boy, no one's allowed to talk about it, but we're, act, we're we're being asked to pay for it. So it seems like we should at least be able to have a dialogue about it. So. Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of, of misunderstanding and misconstruing. And it's interesting because in politics, it feels like there is a lot of uh, messaging is very important. How things are termed and the words that are used and how they're used are very important. And it's I, I always found it very interesting because I feel like there was a time when the terminology used around this was global warming. Yeah, and they've kind of went away from that because I think, and, and you can probably speak more on to this, but if I'm not mistaken, the data has become a little less clear as, as far as, yes, we're, we're, we're warming, but it's more variable than just a straight warming trend. Yeah, I think um, I also think that, uh, well, first of all, yes, of course, you know, I mean, uh, amazing things have happened since 1980. Um, and as you see with a lot of these things is some of the, the trends or at least a lot of the data, uh, we have a lot more of it. And there's no mystery here is, hey, guess what? You know, the Internet was around 1980. And guess what? So now society has just way more data that we know what to do with. And so uh, as is our human nature is we're trying to make patterns out of all of it. So, yes, we're inundated with data. Um, but also, I think global warming just didn't sound scary enough. And so. Um, uh, and the, the folks that uh, that really had have driven that messaging uh, realized that it wasn't scaring us enough into to action. So they uh, they weaponized it and made it even scarier. And so it became a kind of apocalyptic at that point. It's interesting. I actually think of global to me, global warming seems more scary than climate change. Climate change seems kind of like sort of natural. It's like the difference between weather and climates, you know, yeah. you know, there, there, there is a difference. And the thing that's really kind of, you know, and, and I kind of guess I should, I'll lay out sort of my position in a, in a way here. Like, look, I don't want to do anything that's harmful to the planet. I want to be good to the planet. I love nature. I want, you know, to protect the environment in every way that I possibly can. I want to, you know, move to green energy as much as possible. All that being said, 
I've also uh, gotten into uh, a gentleman by the name of, of Randall Carlson, um, who really looks at uh, his big thing really is cosmic impacts. But he, he, he has studied the way that climates since the glacial meltdowns have started hundreds of thousands of years ago in the different periods where there were dramatic glacial meltdowns and so forth. And listening to him and kind of watching him break that data down throughout the course of history, it seems like there is the earth has been warming for hundreds of thousands of years. In fact, long before we were, you know, polluting it and burning fossil fuels in, in that sense. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think humanity is maybe old enough to even understand whether or not there's a cycle where it goes cold again or whether, or, or, or if it just keeps going warm. But, uh, I think there's something, I think we do impact it, but how much we impact it, I guess, is maybe the, the question here. Yeah. And I think that's where most people are. And in fact, in fact, one of the, that's one of the reasons, you know, I, I, I got into renewables in 1999. So I, uh, I've been in around it and kind of on the front line of this for a really long time. So, um, and I, I certainly know how the stories have changed cause I was some of the early storytellers back in the early days. And so, um, but you know, look, the climate has changed. Um, it has, but the, but the stories have gotten, just more extreme. And uh, I think that's been a big part of it is, is uh, yes, we have more data. Um, yes. The climate is always changing. Yes. Man has had some influence on that. Um, and we've been in a scramble to try to prove that link uh, and how big of a uh, impact we've had. You know, that's the whole point of this whole uh, climate discussion. And so I'm not a climate scientist, like you said, you're not a climate scientist, but you know, there are certain things. I mean, if you look at the entire process through which we talk about the climate for the past 40 years, that's really what I tried to dig into when I when I started. I started to have uh, a lot of um, what is it called? Cognitive dissonance between what I knew of my own experience in working in the energy industry and the renewables energy uh, in industry and what I'm hearing out of the media and I, I was saying, you know, those those aren't they're, they're getting farther and farther apart between my own experience and my own understanding versus what I'm hearing. Um, and then I started seeing it really take root in kids. And so my own kids, uh, when I teach uh, at the college, you know, the, you got these 22 year old young adults go, heading into the world who are thinking that uh, the planet's not going to be alive for them to even have kids or why, mm. why bother? Right. And I remember thinking, I'm just going, man, how the hell did we fail these kids so, so miserably? And so mm. uh, it's a failure of, yes, it's a failure of messaging, but it's also um, it, it's just a long history of just sort of inflating all of these different things to the point where uh, most of us don't really know what the truth is. And I think that's a really frustrating thing, especially when we're trying to see whether or not this is a real uh, and important problem, which I think it is. I think it's a real problem. And I think it's something that needs some real attention. But um, boy, it's tough to find a complete truth anywhere because everything is just being spun. Yeah. Let's 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 reverse back a little bit and and give people a little bit of your background um, as far as, you know, kind of what got you sent you down this path and in, in, involved in, you know, the technologies that you've been involved with and how that all kind of relates to gives you the experience and the background to kind of have some knowledge base on this subject. Yeah. So I mentioned, uh, I think I, I started in 1999 and I was literally, you know, back in the day, this was the early days of solar. So 
Solar was remote applications. And I, I was selling an inverter, which is just an electronic current current uh, uh, manipulator that, that would allow farmers to uh, pump the water from their deep wells that they had on the farms. And it was northern tip of Africa, Morocco, uh, back, you know, in, in some of the early solar routes. And so hugely effective. Solar is great for that kind of stuff. I mean, that's what it's made for, remote applications. Uh, and then I've been along for this ride as it's moved onto rooftops and then onto buildings and then large utility scale, um, uh, you know, utility scale power plants. Um, and and I was uh, for a while a division president for Samsung, Sam, the big Samsung Electronics, their power plant division, putting big 20 megawatt plants here in uh, California. So, um, so really just got plugged into all of the different technologies, all of the different applications for solar. And, uh, you know, look, we, we, we've done a lot of good. And, and back in the early days, we, um, I think we took a lot of pride in, in sort of us, David versus Goliath at the time was, was the oil companies um, and just making incremental progress, right? We didn't overpromise. We, we just knew that, you know, slowly doing this over time can help. Uh, we didn't say that it was going to save the world. We just knew that it was making a small, tiny, but, but, you know, important difference. And then I'd say probably about 10 years ago, um, I, and I don't know the trigger for this, but man, that language just became apocalyptic, right? It became, mm-hmm. we're all going to die by Thursday if we don't do all of these massive things. And I, I just started saying, what the heck is going on? And that's just not true. And also solar is lovely. I love it. It's a great technology. It's a great business, but it's also not going to save the planet for some obvious reasons, like it only works, you know, a third of the time and, and, uh, you know, all these things. And so uh, I started to see this big gap in, in uh, what I'll just call truth. And so everyone's just sort of telling a little version of their truth. And um, unfortunately we're now to the point where we have to do something that's going to be really expensive and it's going to be really expensive. I mean, we're talking trillions of dollars if we really think that we're going to attack this. Um, so we deserve to have complete information. And, uh, and I don't know too many people who are out there uh, just, or too many companies or organizations who are out there telling us uh, the complete truth. Um, you, you mentioned some of the science, um, right? There's plenty of things to talk about the science, even though we're not allowed to. Uh, as soon as you say, hey, I want to talk about the science, everyone's, everyone yells at you and th- starts throwing stuff at you and say, no, it's settled. And I can tell you, it is far from settled. <laughs> so I'm not a client scientist, but I am an engineer and, I, and I've been around this data for a long time. And uh, anyone who sits there is one. And I live and breathe daily with computer models because I do startup work. So anyone who's telling me they have figured out how to model uh, all of the world's oceans and all of their factors and are historically accurate and can predict the future with them, I'm just going to say, dude, you're full of it. I guarantee that you're full of it. <laughs> and that's just oceans, right? Clouds. Think of all the different factors that have to go into this. So there's lots of things to talk about. And I, I really just wanted to start having the talk. I think we need to have everyone talking about this stuff because it's important. Yeah, agreed. Well, I think what is it? The weather weathermen can only predict like really within a few hours beyond that. They're just kind of going on what data has shown them is typical, you know, what will happen. So it, it is very hard to de- to deter that. And I think, you know, it's understandable. And I I deal with this too, in a different way. But I think people that have um, their careers 
for a long period of time invested in uh, a particular aspect of, of, uh, of an industry or a cause or an ideology, it sort of becomes part of their identity too. So it, I think it makes them very reluctant to accept the new data that contradicts what they've believed for a very long time. You know, I, I, being in cannabis, I, I experienced that a lot with like with law enforcement, you know, the, the, this data is coming in, it's different data, but there's resistance to accept that data. And I think that could happen obviously here with, with climate scientists and people who have, um, you know, been preaching a certain way for, for a long time. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I come from that industry. So I think, you know, for forever, um, you know, it was always there's a few few basics. If you you know, if you're going to do a, uh, a primer <laughs> a primer coming into the solar or renewable energy industry, one one is big oil is bad. Right. They're just always bad. No matter what they do, it's bad. Number two, we're somehow going to save the planet. Um, and you just don't question those things. And so but, you know, if you really dig into it, this is not rocket science. I mean, you know, an intermittent energy source uh, that works sometimes um, isn't something that you can build an entire um, uh, world around. And we haven't. And there's a reason that we haven't. So um, and there's a reason that uh, it won't play. I, in my opinion, it will play a, a dramatically bigger part of that because of those exact uh, limitations. So that's part of it. You know, I, I think there's this massive, you know, part of what ha has happened has been there has been a and I found that that's one of the things I discovered in, when I was doing the research for this book was there has been a communication strategy for to just scare the heck out of us. Right. And specifically children. Um, and it's been a strategy. This is not, this is not conspiracy theory. There has been, you know, there are blueprints written by journalism schools that said, this is how you're supposed to label people who don't think like right. you. This is how you're supposed to call it. You know, you're not allowed, you can't say that they're just a climate skeptic. You have to call them a climate denier. Um, and then that got propagated all throughout the climate media. And so, that's why this stuff is just so apocalyptic anymore, because there's been a, a strategy is we have to talk about this in these forums, because that's the only way we're going to spur people to action. My opinion is the only thing we're really seeing from that is a bunch of scared people who are over. We're overreacting now to policies that are super expensive and will have virtually no impact. And my 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 bugaboo is electric vehicles, because, um, you know, you, <laughs> there's you can't electric vehicle your way to climate salvation. It's just impossible. And this is really simple arithmetic. And so when people say, hey, you know, we're going to get plenty of electric vehicles, I just keep thinking, you know, these are just more stuff we're making in factories. Um, right. So how is that going to somehow save us? The better thing to do would just be to drive 50 percent less. And, uh, yeah. You know, so, yeah, my, my, my question when it comes to the electric vehicles is I, I understand it from an emission standpoint, obviously, but beyond the emission standpoint, yes, you're not burning a fossil fuel, but the energy that you're charging with has to be generated from somewhere. And maybe that's from hydro or water, but it also could be fossil fuels that are being burned to get that electricity that you're charging in your car. Yeah. And then the other component that I, I, I hear is an issue. I don't know how much of an issue it really is, but is the batteries. Um, apparently, there's there's issues with uh, having enough of the raw materials to actually build enough batteries to extrapolate this over the over the vast society numbers of society. 
Um, yeah, yeah, and there's nowhere near capacity for this. And, and you know, we're look, we're already seeing it. You know, Elon, Elon Musk comes out and says right. near enough capacity. So, look, we're we're swapping one re, re, uh, depletable resource, oil and gas, with another, which is lithium and all this other stuff. So either way, you are powering up trackers, tractors to mow down mountains to get the materials for something. Right. So, um, so I, I used to have this conversation when I was in the solar business, um, you know, people, cause I say, you know, anyone who says, cause they would, you know, people would say, well, we're so green. And I'm like, well, we're not green because, you know, the first step of module production is, is taking that tractor and literally mowing down that mountain and mining for all the minerals. And then that gets loaded up into trucks and trailers and pushed into factories. And so by the time someone calls it zero carbon, uh, is when it's actually working out in the field somewhere and sun is hitting it. But there's a lot of embedded carbon in that zero carbon <laughs> footprint. So EVs are the same way. Um, so one of the things I did was um, there's a there's an organization, a nonprofit organization called Project Drawdown, um, which maybe you've heard of, but most people haven't. But um, uh, and what they've done is they just have gone through and, and listed you know, hundreds of different climate solutions. They put cost numbers associated with them, but also they put in a, um, a CO2 effect with each of these. So if you did this solution, for example, it would cost this much and have this much effect on uh, CO2 emissions. So, you know, I, I went to that database, it's online, it's a, it's a public site. And I actually did a sort, um, you know, cheapest to most expensive, which is basically, you know, here, if you're going to spend your money today, which we were being asked to do, which would be the cheapest and have the most bang for the buck. Um, and when you do that, and I, I included it in here, it's a boring spreadsheet, but it's a really interesting list because out of 75 items, um, electric vehicles are 68, um, mm -hmm. which means that it's at the bottom, right? So in other words, it's way, it's so expensive for the amount of uh, CO2 impact that's going to have. And the only thing, and the, the one that's right above it is hybrids, which we already have. OK, and so um, I think the top energy item was number 33, which means there's 32 other things that that are way more cost effective and would have a much greater impact. And so so that's that's part of this story, too, is um, what's the real problem? What are some of the solutions? But, you know, which are the most effective solutions? And, you know, I mean, you know, some of the things are kind of obvious. Use less stuff, conservation, reforest. Uh, nature preservation. Don't cut down that forest full of trees to put a factory in there that supposedly is going to save a bunch of trees. <laughs> right. So right. Um, a lot of natural farming type of applications and things that actually remove carbon uh, from the air as opposed to just continually to add carbon from the air. So yeah. It really feels like uh, the way that they have conditioned society, and you really touched on this very well, and I think it's been illustrated even more prominently in the last couple of years and how the, the media sort of gin, you know, really gins up and, and, and riles up people. And look, they do it for ratings. That's how they make their money now. It's a different, it's not, it's a different uh, news model, I will say, than it used to be, um, yeah. for sure. Um, you know, and... It's it's interesting because you know you mentioned some of these some of these other factors and it seems like it's much easier to scare people into thinking they need to purchase something new to solve that problem than it is going to be to convince them that they need to reduce an activity that they're already doing which might be 
you know, driving as much. It might be, you know, not buying as much through consumerism, which drives a lot of the factories and a lot of the trees being cut down, a lot of those other things. Um, it feels like that's a mountain. And I, that's my concern is I don't know how we as, as polarized as everyone is on every issue. This is just one of many. How do you get them to kind of come to the middle somewhere and say and, and not dig their feet in and say, OK, maybe maybe we can do not all 32, perhaps, but maybe we can do 15 of them or 10 of them even would be great. Yeah. And I think part of it, I think it starts with doing exactly what we're doing, which is just having a dialogue. Look, this has been I'm from the climate industry and I'm not allowed to question it. And there's something wrong with that picture. Okay. I, you know, I've spent decades in this industry and whenever I raise my hand and say, guys, you know, isn't there something funny about future looking climate models that are, that are requiring us to spend trillions? People scream at me. I, I can't tell you how many colleagues I've lost over this. And so, man, there's something wrong with that picture. That is not a way to solve the problem. And I hold up as exhibit a, the fact that we're not solving the problem, right? So you get a Democrat right. president, it goes forward. Then he trips and fumbles and you get a Republican president and we pull the plug on it. And so we yeah. just fits and starts. It's not getting solved. Um, you know, the sad truth here, and this is just a sad fact, the best thing that's happened in the climate world for the past 50 years. And I'm, I'm not I'm not even kidding this in terms of emissions was COVID. So we did yeah. in one year 2020 U.S. emissions dropped by 11 percent. OK, in one year, you're talking months. And how did that happen? Because we just used less stuff. Right. Yes, it was crazy. And there's all kinds of I'm not recommending it. I'm just showing the data. And uh, but 50 years of climate policy where we've been trying to manufacture and and uh, and panic our way out of this has done nothing but but raise uh, emissions. So what's wrong with this picture? Right. So so um, there's there's an overall premise that if we just make a bunch more stuff that's a, that's better than what's out there and deploy it, that somehow uh, CO2 reverses. But it's like it's not even good logic. Right. It's like five plus seven somehow is going to equal minus five hundred. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it it feels like just from a, a logical standpoint, you know, my experience was with science classes I took when things were less debatable, perhaps. Um, and it, in my experience in nature, it feels like it would need to be kind of a combination of, you know, like you said, preserving the forests, producing, you know, planting more trees, perhaps, you know, pr providing things on the earth that will absorb some of that CO2 and put out more oxygen and have to create a more oxygenated and less CO2 atmosphere, if that's if that's what we're trying to accomplish. And that seems like a many steps uh, that would need to happen to, to, to make that occur. Um, and, I, you know, I, I don't know, but you know, because people are always looking at, like you said, they always look at green solutions as the whole solution. So let's let's kind of break these down because I have this talk uh, argument. Well, I shouldn't say it's an argument. But I have these discussions sometimes and um, and they're typically with people from either side, to be quite honest. Like I wanted to say it was one side more than the other, but it's really not. Um, you know, when I. I have a conversation with somebody who is very adamant that it's a waste of time to do anything for, with renew, renewable energies. God put uh, fossil fuels here for us to consume and use and burn or they wouldn't be here. What else are they used for? 
And uh, so that's, you know, and, and it's hard to get them to understand, like, you know, because they always go, well, solar can't fix it all. Wind can't fix it all. Electric vehicles, as you said, can't fix it all. But it, some of the other people are adamant that those things will fix it all. And we need to eliminate all fossil fuels. And if you think you need to keep any fossil fuels, you're a bad, terrible person. And yeah. somewhere there's that middle ground, because I feel like, <clears throat> you know, right now is a good example where there's been this, uh, I think this feeling with the gas prices right now, where people are like, are we... Is any of this being done? I, I don't want to raise any conspiracy flags, but, you know, it seems like these gas prices, they may go back down at some point, but they're never going to go back down to where they were. And it may be a, a tactic that is sort of being implemented to force people to drive less, to force people into electric vehicles. Um and I don't know if that's the oil companies, which I have no love lost for. They've made a lot of money. And um, yeah. and I think if I recall seeing uh, reports where they actually knew in the 60s or 70s that they were doing bad shit to the earth and they just really didn't care. You know, it's profit models or what was the, the main driving factor. Yeah. Um, and that's true. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, so I think that's now a matter of public record that the oil companies were. Uh, they inv they knew early on that this was not good, uh, and then they funded sort of uh, fake science, whatever you want to call it, to yeah. to sort of justify that and and did their own studies, <laughs> their own studies, right? Yeah. Um, so they and they did it for years, and um, and so there has been such a knee jerk reaction to well, we got to go get them, right? And I, I you know, and I'm kind of like, well, what happens when you get them? So, right. <laughs> you know, okay. So you it's like the dog that catches the car. What do you do now? Yeah. Now what do you do? We still have this problem to solve. So I I'm, I'm sort of like, man, it's just misplaced anger at this point. You know um, uh, my view, I've worked for two oil companies. I worked for BP solar and shell solar and you know, the profit motive can, can actually work. You know, I mean, they got into renewables, not because they wanted to save the planet because they thought they could make a bunch of money at it. Mm. And when they couldn't, they got out. So if we can figure out a way to help to have people make money at uh, making things better, then, then tap into all of those resources uh, to, to make that work. So I, I have no uh, issue with that. I, I just think it's misplaced anger at this point. It's energy better spent actually trying to solve some of the problems in, yeah. in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, so green solution, uh, you know, so look, I, my, my, this is very simple stuff in, in some ways, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll use an analogy cause this is, this is a good analogy to sort of get us there. Um, I call it the avoided donut fallacy, right? So, um, let's say, um, let's say you, you your doctor says, Hey, Mark, you're 200 pounds overweight. You got to lose 200 pounds. And I say, okay, doctor, I have a 20 donut a day habit. So I'm going to knock that 20 donuts a day down to five. But that's a savings of 15. So I do the math, 15 donuts a day savings um, into 200 pounds, eight months, I'm skinny. And the doctor goes, well, wait a sec. You're still eating five donuts a day. You've gotten five donuts a day fatter. That's this. Okay. So yes, you can replace coal with solar, but solar is not, is not neutral. Okay. Solar still has a footprint. So um, you're still adding CO2 unless you go through systematically and get rid of the entire electricity grid and start over with stuff that's better, Ooh, which never happens. Interesting. So when you, 
I was just going to ask. So, 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 so explain that, go into that a little further. So solar is still leaving an imprint because it's tied to our electrical grid. Solar is, is leaving an imprint because it's made in a factory that uses fossil fuels. Uh. So it's not neutral. And so what, ha- what people do is they start the clock when solar is already installed and the sun is shining. I see. And then they just ignore everything before that, right? But it's still, you're still five donuts fatter. <laughs> A lot of it made in China, right? As well. They kind of own the solar and when industry. It's China, it's actually probably 10 donuts Worse. fatter because uh, <laughs> their environmental standards, they're like, what the hell? We'll just, just make right. it. Who cares if you, if you kill a few people? Sorry to be blunt about it, but yeah. that's true, right? So, so if you are adding energy sources to the grid, you are adding CO2. Windmills, the same thing. Um, and so, but but it's been marketed. So it's zero carbon and zero this. So so here's an example. Here in California, we've got you know, two nuclear power plants that are being decommissioned. Uh, both are slated to be replaced with solar plus energy storage. I live close to Diablo Canyon, Central Coast. Um, and I'm actually involved with some of the efforts um, that, that could potentially bring in some solar for this. And I, and I do the CO2 math and I go, you know, you realize that this is actually a really bad deal for, for emissions and people go, what do you mean? We're being clean. I go, no, no, no. Nuclear is the cleanest fuel there is from a CO2 standpoint. <laughs> no, that's true. It's by far the lowest CO2 footprint. So you're replacing it with solar. You've just increased the, the CO2 by 400% just for solar. And now you're going to add storage on top of that. So the same generation capacity for Diablo Canyon, you are probably going to increase CO2 emissions by 800 to a thousand percent. Boy, you know, talk about a party killer right there. You have that. <laughs> it's just versus, versus burning versus burning fossil fuels. Can Like you're saying that it'll increase over what you're currently doing, which is fossil fuels, correct? Well, no, but if we get our we get our energy from nuclear from nuclear power. Now. Ah, I see, I see. So I see. if you're going to swap that out with right. something, uh, you know. So uh, now there's a mix. There's lots of different factors that go into that because the actual energy mix um, that you get at your plug is a mix of about six All or right. seven different things. Nuclear is one of them. So it's a constantly sliding scale. But my point is, you're not making it better. <laughs> you're actually making it worse. But there, so it's just, we just don't understand. And so what's happened now is someone has probably started to do the math and there's a groundswell the opposite way is all of a sudden they're starting to say, well, hey, maybe we shouldn't close Diablo Canyon because hey, it's actually, it's actually maybe not better. Um, so we're, you know, the pendulum is going the other way. So that's the whole, po- that's the point, right? So, this whole, this whole, so when, when you talk about swapping something with a green source, first of all, there's no such thing as a green source. Let's be clear about that. It's just summer beige, but you're not lowering CO2 by stalling energy source. You can't, it's physically impossible. They don't remove CO2. They add CO2. Um, the only thing that that will make it better potentially over time is if you replace really bad stuff like coal plants with solar or wind over time and somehow make that footprint better. But it it rarely happens. Normally, when you add capacity, you just add capacity. You're not de- decommissioning bad stuff. You're just mm. you're just adding better stuff and and altering the mix a little bit. Well, that's interesting. You've touched on a couple things there, um, which I think is important and isn't isn't conveyed very much, which is you're right. I think these these uh, green solutions 
are, are, I don't even know if that's the term I should use really, but they're options for sure um, that they are the five donuts basically in your analogy. Um, they're better than taking 20 in 20 donuts a day, but they're still, there's five donuts you're taking in. And so it's better. And the only way for that to really have a dramatic impact is if we add those, if we switch to five donuts, but we're also sequentially shutting down, you know, the, the, the coal, some of the coal sources and things like that and, and expanding with the newer, cleaner energy options. We're still going to be putting out the five donuts, yeah. but it's still a lot less than what we were doing. Um, the other thing, if you want to lose that weight, you still have 200 pounds to lose, right? So even if you cut out donuts, you still have 200 pounds to lose. And that's the part that no one is talking about that, right? That's where you actually carbon sequestration. That's, that's, uh, removing carbon from the atmosphere using so, some trees and technical solutions, okay. conservation. Again, going back to the COVID year, uh, we did it. We lowered CO2 just by, by turning stuff off. We turned off light switches. We didn't drive as much. We did what we're doing now, which is we did it through uh, phone conversations. Imagine, you know, I, I just keep thinking, imagine, first of all, if, if the government decided federal government, state government said, I'm now going to have a, a pay to conserve program. And they started to pay us to conserve energy. So mm-hmm. everything that you saved over a baseline, I'll give you a check. It's not magic. We did it with solar when we wanted people to use it. We paid them. So yeah. pay people to conserve. Okay. Pay people to not cut down trees. Uh, imagine if all of our national forests are our, uh, were now carbon uh, sink centers uh, where they just literally were preserved to suck carbon out of the air. Okay. Think about all these tools that we have um, that we could do tomorrow that would start our carbon negative journey today where we wouldn't have to try to spin the earth backwards on its ac- on its axis to try to to uh, greenify the entire electricity grid. Yeah, I, I feel like that sort of, you know, is is more encompassing. I know we have forests here, obviously, in the U.S., but that really becomes a, a global consideration when it's when we talk about deforestation. I, what comes to mind, obviously, to me is Brazil um, in the way they've really uh, went at the at the forest down there. Um, because, you know, there aren't that many forests. I think the Amazon, what is this? It's like a significant percentage of our oxygen production on, on the planet. Um, I, if I, if I'm not mistaken, um, the other thing you touched on is the electric grid, which look, I don't have a great understanding of the electric grid. All I know is that I've heard that it's extremely outdated. I've heard that it's the most vulnerable thing of anything, if we wanted to be attacked by a terrorist, like it would be the ideal thing to, to, to go after because it's so vulnerable. Yeah. And, and obviously here in California, we have power fluctuations and outages from time to time. And, um, you know, obviously the grid in Texas isn't much better. (laughs) So I don't think anywhere in the country has one. Do you, do you have any insight into what the problems with the power grid specifically are and how we might change that because that seems like a fundamental thing that we just have never done we talk in infrastructure um but this seems like something that was has been neglected for decades yeah i think um so of course it gets into politics and i think here in california you've got the the, the biggest ones are the investor-owned utilities um pg e southern cal edison mm-hmm. san diego gas and electric are the three big ones um they have a very strange profit model and um 
so some people will just say, well, profit's bad. You just got to make it state run. Right. And I, my, my feeling is, well, profit's not bad if it's the right profit. So, um, you know, these electric utilities cannot make a profit by selling you electricity, which is a very strange thing, right? They, they're, they're not allowed to. So the way that they are allowed to make money is uh, they're essentially real estate companies. Okay. They have, they make money on building and owning stuff. So, um, you know, they, they want, they have to build new plants because they are allowed to take a, it's called a rate base, a rate of return uh, on that new plant. So they want stuff to break down their incentivize. Their main incentive is to have stuff break down. This is, this is when you work with the utilities, it's actually a jaw. It's a jaw dropper. When you first hear it, you go, wait, what did you just, so you need stuff to break down, but then once you get into it, you realize this is their business model, right? So they need stuff to break down. So when you bring in stuff and you say to them like solar, you know, it's going to extend the life of your existing equipment because, um, you know, you'll just tax it less and we're bringing in this other stuff. They just, they don't like that. They, they, they're like, well, that means I have to take 10 extra years to replace that thing. And that's 10 extra years. I won't be able to realize profit. So I don't want any of that stuff. So it's a warped business model and I don't have the answer to it, but just that right there tells you, man, that's a mess. And so if you're getting your profit on replacing stuff, then you are incentivized, highly incentivized to replace it with really expensive, really big ticket items. Okay. That's good. You know, you need stuff to break. So, Hey, guess what happens? PG and E stuff breaks. You decide not to spend on maintenance. And when you don't, you have these big, huge fires. And then when you can't pay it, you just, you declare bankruptcy. So, boy, that's a, that's a, not a good business model set, right? So you can't, that's something to, to not be replicated. We've also known now in here in California, you know, so that that's the utility issue, but also there's the grid issue, which is right. We have so, we have so much solar sometimes um, it gets curtailed. Okay, really? so the uh, the grid operator says, "Whoa, too much solar, guys! Turn it off!" And literally, we turn it off. So here we've we've paid for all this installed capacity, and there are times in the day when the grid just chokes on it and can't accept it. So you literally just turn it all off. It's called curtailment. So your, your solar production, you've spent all this money to produce electricity with solar, can't use it. Um, or there are times, and we've had to, had to do this, you're producing so much and you can't curtail it. So you just redirect it. So we just sent it to Arizona. We said, sorry, can't use it. Arizona, it's yours. Right. So there's lots of, you know, now that, um, now that we have all this uh, intermittent renewable activity going on, we're seeing uh, that it really stresses out the grid uh, in different ways that we didn't know before. And so it's not, uh, we, we're having to adapt to that as well. What 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 exactly is the grid? I mean, when you th- think about the grid, I mean, I'm, I guess it's a network of all the power lines ran above ground, underground, all the way across the country is, as how it's connected, right? That's what the yeah, grid the, is. So um, in California, it's the CAISO, the California, what's what's it called? Uh, inner service operability. I don't know the, what the exact thing, but they're responsible. For, so uh, utilities are responsible for the generation. So they're the factories, right? They're, they're the power mm-hmm. plants. And then Kaiso is responsible for all the wires and the grids and the transmissions. So, so they're the ones I should really be mad at when I go for a hike and I see these really ancient power lines running right through really dry 
pine trees just waiting to start a forest fire. It should be the grid I'm mad at. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, yes, that's who are they? Who are they responsible to? Well, they're you know they're they're all responsible like here in California to the Public Utilities Commission, so they all mm-hmm. they all report up that way. Um, but again, the business model is what is what it is. So everyone gets incentivized to replace stuff um, and build new stuff. So that's how they make their money. That's how their sh- their stakeholders mm-hmm. make money. So th- that's a pretty that's a pretty messed up way. Um, I mean, if you just think about it from a business term, yeah. so no doubt we're having. Uh, we're having problems with the grid, with yeah. grid reliability and, and grid issues. Yeah, it's one thing to design, a, you know, a pair of shoes or a cell phone or something to uh, be, uh, you know, wear out or, or break down in, in a year or two. But it's another thing to design your your power system in that manner. Um, I know that here in California, you know, people think of California as being progressive and kind of embracing some of these ideas. And I know. I guess one question I would have would be how much could actually functionable public transportation, because I spent a couple of years overseas and, and I don't know if if Europe has a lower CO2 emissions or not, but I do know that their public transportation is a lot better and it's actually usable and a lot of people actually do use it. And it's very frustrating here because in California, I was actually very excited when this light rail or speed rail or whatever was supposed to run from the bay down through fresno and then all the way eventually down to the bottom part of the state i mean it would change the way people traveled uh, especially when it comes to air flight um which we can get into in a minute because i understand air air flight is like one of the greatest emitters of co2 way more than cars but the thing that i noticed with the with the rail system here in california is I don't know if it's corruption or if it's just everybody has their hand out at each step of the process, but the cost on it is so exorbitantly more than what it costs to run the same rail lines overseas Yeah, that it just never even gets done. And, and I don't, I haven't lived in the Bay or up North, but you know, in Southern California and LA for sure, public transportation is atrocious. It's the worst. Like there's no way I would consider taking it unless you absolutely have no other choice. How much, how, how much could, could, could an improvement, is it worth investing into those things? Could those things have enough of an impact to, to make a difference? So I think short answer is yes. I think, you know, whenever we talk about investments, um, then you start, then that's a whole different door, right? So mm-hmm. Because I get into this discussion, like when I when I when I make the nuclear versus solar versus other things argument, people go, "Oh, okay." They sort of they sort of give me the points of, "Okay, nuclear's you know lower CO two, but it's way more expensive." And I always say, "You know what? Um, everything is cheap when the government decides it's cheap." So, do you think a Tesla is cheap? You know, a Tesla has thirty thousand dollars of public money in every single car. So, you know, you're welcome, Elon Musk. Right? So, so, so the investment argument is this: the big amorphous mob that if the government decides it's economical because of CO two and all this other things that they daisy chain into it, then it will be. So, <laughs> it really is that right. simple. If the government says, "Hey, guess what? We're getting rid of half the cars, and we're going to make it up with if, with rail," and here's our plan, then it happens, and and to hell with it. So, um, you know, so I, I'm with you. I love. I, I live in San Luis Obispo. There's a train station a mile away. I take it up north and down south whenever I can because it's just way more awesome. Even if it takes me an extra hour and a half, 
just what a difference. Right. And so I, you know, you can't you take off all the cars. Uh, it would be incredible. And so I think it's absolutely um, uh, possible. I think, you know, we're geographically challenged in this area because Europe's all jammed together. So it kind of works in California's, you know, <laughs> that Very side to ourselves and where would you go? And of course, politics and this and that. So um, whether or not it could have an effect, but, you know, BART works great in San Francisco. Um, it works fine. It doesn't, not so great in Southern California, but BART's a, a totally viable option in the, in Northern California. And I used it for, uh, years when I lived there as well. So I think public transportation is a fantastic idea and a continual, uh, upgrading of that can, can work. Yeah. You've mentioned nuclear a couple times, and you've mentioned a couple of things that people call uh, detractors uh, for it and cost being one of them. Not my concern with nuclear, although I do have a couple concerns. Um, one is, is just obviously nuclear could go wrong. If it does go wrong, it's disastrous. And it's, and, and it's impactful for, for decades on, on the area. Um, the other concern is what do we do or can we do or do we have a better solution than we used to for the waste from for, for nuclear waste? Because I can't remember exactly where it's at, but I remember when I lived in Washington state, there's an area up there. I think it's Hanford and it's like it's going to be toxic for like hundreds of years, basically, um, where they've just compiled and put all this you know, nuclear waste because they don't have anything. There's nothing you can really do with it, I guess. Is there a better solution or how much nuclear waste is actually produced with uh, the use of nuclear power? Yeah. So uh, I don't want to present myself as a nuclear expert by any means. Sure. Not. I, uh, in fact, I'm not, I'm pretty energy agnostic, honestly. I think uh, if you, it depends on the lens that you, you look at these things through. So um, I, I, I always just say, if I'm looking at it through a CO2 emissions standpoint and you wear those glasses, nuclear, for sure. How could you not consider it? Because it's by far and away the lowest footprint. I think the only thing lower is hydro. And, you know, unless you're at the ocean, right. then how are you going to do that? Running out of water here. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, and so just from that perspective, um, I think, some of the early tragedies are from the first generation reactors, my understanding, like Three Mile Island and certainly the Chernobyl area. Right. So those are just horrible um, disasters. And even Fukushima in Japan a few years ago, a number of years ago, was from first generation or early generation nuclear reactors. But, you know, I mean, there hasn't been a, a major nuclear incident from from, you know, 70s era, maybe 80s era. Again, I'm I'm not an expert sure. in this. Uh, since then, right? And so I lived next to du Diablo Canyon and there has not, there haven't been any incidents whatsoever. So, uh, you know, I, I can't speak to the safety of nuclear. You're right. That's the, that's the, the understanding. My, what I have seen lately, and I've actually seen pictures of this is, um, you know, the efficiency of nuclear reactors um, has moved to the point they've gotten smaller and uh, the waste has gotten a lot smaller too. And that, that, what I've seen is the amount of nuclear waste um, for my entire lifetime for me would probably be about the size of a, a tall beer can. Okay. So um, now I don't know any of the details beside that, but I've seen that and I say, yeah. well, okay, well, see, you know, it seems like um, a reasonable alternative, but um, you know, I, you have, you have to also say, what are our alternatives? 
our alternatives. Okay. So, you know, I know people want nuclear fusion, which is sort of, uh, uh, yeah. So we're, you know, a different type of nuclear and maybe that's going to happen, uh, within our lifetimes. You just don't know. So maybe it's some new technological development will come along the flux capacitor, right. From the back to the future days, something, but, uh, you know, we're just trying to, um, you know, uh, negotiate the different options that are available to us based on the priorities. So I, you know, look, I I've done the math for solar. I've done the math for wind. Um, you know, if you, if you were going to try to power the world with solar by, you know, 20, 2050, I think I, I, I calculated in my book that it would be like 178, um, it would take 178 years to produce enough solar at given global manufacturing capacity, right? So that means you're either, you're building dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of more solar power plants to get to a place where you're pow- where you've covered the earth, but hey, guess what? You're still only working a third of the time. So you have to now fill in the blanks. So, right, these are the analysis that we need to be doing with all these things. France has, I think, 70 nuclear uh, uh, reactors in, uh, in France. They're almost entirely powered by by uh, nuclear, they have, they're the cleanest CO2 footprint in Europe. So, um, but these are all of the different equations that we need to try to put together. Um, and what, what I'm trying to advocate for is we have to be able to do the math consistently and evaluate these on a consistent basis if we really think that we're going to, um, uh, you know, make any any real headway with this thing. Is um, to your so your point about nuclear. Uh, I don't know which is more important. Do we feel safe enough with the current generation of reactors that it's worth investing in those versus the damage? Because um, it's a better alternative than unabated coal use could be to the planet. I don't know. Those are those are real yeah. world questions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Another and and, and obviously it's a. I, it's very difficult to know who to who to trust, who to believe when when you're trying to find this information as well, because the so-called I mean, I, I, I don't want to say so-called experts they're they're experts, but um, sometimes experts have agendas and it's it's hard to sometimes know um, if what you're being told is is entirely factual or, or not. Um, and these are topics, especially when it gets into stuff like nuclear, you know, I, I don't even really know the difference between fusion, you know, what we currently use in fusion Would that, is that mean that it's less waste or that it's more efficient, more powerful, smaller, you know, I, I don't know those kind of answers, but I think somebody needs to be having those conversations and, and be, you know, figuring out what part of the equation is that because, you know, I've also heard people talk about about uh, ocean tides being able to generate power. And that seems, I, I don't know if that's feasible, but it seems like something that is definitely continuous and at least along the coast is something that might be viable, but is that something that's a reasonable option or is this kind of like just, you know, sort of wishful thinking? No, I think um, you're starting to see those. Uh, it, they just, I mean, they're basically just levers that uh, think of piano keys that just sit on top of the waves and they, as the waves move them up and down, they generate electricity. I think, I think you're seeing them in Holland now because they've, they've had water management issues their entire existence. So look, I think they're all reasonable, right? I think we need them all. Uh, and so in terms of energy sources, there is no one size fits all. Again, you know, the economics of these, um, and anything will become viable once 
enough money gets behind it and you know enough government attention gets behind it. So I think that they are um, there are plenty of these technologies that are viable. So um, so I think, you know, that that's still a possibility as well. What to, to my perspective, um, obviously, government has to play some sort of role in this. And from from my experience and sort of what my, I understand, it does seem like countries like Norway, I think it is, that's really progressive when it comes to energy efficiency, um, renewable, clean energy. What is the difference that a co- country like that can is can be so progressive, even despite its harsh climate and its limited population? Or maybe that's a plus that it's a limited population. Um, do you have Do you have any thoughts on to why they're able to be more progressive and why it feels like we're always kind of behind a country like that? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's uh, you know the old saying, necessity is the mother of invention, right? There's a reason. Um, that they really started the whole cell phone revolution, right? Because they had to, (laughs) you know, they're out in the middle of nowhere, the harsh conditions and they need to be able to talk. So they figured it out. Um, So that's where innovation comes from, from a real need. Japan uh, is one of the pioneers of solar energy. Why? Because they're geographically constrained. Um, They, that's why they have nuclear and that's why they started solar because um, you know, their choice was to be beholden to China for energy. Don't want that. They're not they're not friends. Uh, so there's this tiny little island out in the middle of nowhere that is, you know, surrounded by enemies. They needed energy independence. They needed energy to power themselves. Solar. They were they were the first ones to do this. So they were hugely aggressive in that. So um, so I think it, it comes from, in, you know, necessity. And so, uh, you know, people invent stuff um, for the right reasons. They actually solve problems because they have to, because um, they're not able to achieve stuff that maybe other parts of the world uh, have achieved or, you know, they're just falling behind. So, of course, that's a, I'm a big believer in that. And that's also pro- that's also why I think the idea that these big, you know, we keep having these big global summits. The last one was in Glasgow and, you know, think about Kyoto and Copenhagen and just it's alphabet soup, right? And we go there and we sign these really awesome sounding pieces of paper. And of course, nothing ever happens because, hey, look, um, it's just not going to happen at the global level. Every, you know, people will say, and part of what I challenge with climate change in particular is because there's just this sort of tendency to just blame other folks. You know, and I won't get political on this, but it's pretty obvious, you know, when you, it's like it's it's the other guy's fault. They're the yeah. bad guys. Right. It's the oil people. They're the bad guys, even though I'm not willing to give up oil myself. But it's really <laughs> because they've done it right. They've done it to me. So um, or it's India or it's China or it's re- Republicans with their big trucks or whatever it is. Right. You know? So it's always somewhere else. Right. And so all you have to do is wait for the big global pact to come along and then we're into it. Well, they're just so useless. And, and I hold up 50 years of having these meetings with zero progress. There aren't any, I, I think the, the amount of countries that are actually on board or that are on track to meet the uh, Paris Accords, uh, I think out of the 190 plus, I think two of them are, and they're the smallest wow. two countries, right? So it's just political theater. Let's just yeah. be honest with it, right? So um, these big inter- international agreements, the truth is, 
most of the countries there can't afford any of this stuff. They're actually developing countries. They're waiting for companies like the U.S. to step up. And it's just, you know, it's just money. They're, they're saying, oh, yeah, you know, we're victim of climate change. So U.S., you know, step up climate reparations, give us the money. And, um, and that's kind of the way this game plays. So, I mean, I'll just, you can just leave as evidence, um, the results, which have been pretty much none in these big international things. And so, um, you know, every country has a different set of uh, agenda. Do you really think that China is going to slow down their growth to man- to just make themselves look green? Hell no, there's no. not a chance in hell that's going to happen. So, um, the onus of this is going to fall on companies like the U.S. Certainly, um, I mean, even th- the third biggest emitter, India, um, they don't have the money to do this, so they're they're not going to do it. It's going to come down to the rich nations, the developed nations, us, China, um, Great Britain, uh, Germany. You know, the top five GDP of uh, you know the top fifty percent of global GDP is going to fall on us to do this. And so, what are we going to do? And so how are we going to you know, try to lead this this ship as we're trying to solve this problem? Yeah, that's an, an argument that I've heard for for many years, too, is that we expect all these other countries to jump on board with this stuff. And the argument from those other countries are, well, it's easy for you to say in America and in Great Britain, you've already had your industrial revolution and polluted everything and, and built your wealth and stability for your citizen base. And we, we want to do that, too. Um, so, and, and I get that nobody wants to live in poverty and everybody wants to have a better uh, society for, for, for people um, where people aren't poor and, and struggling for things. Um, and I guess that does make sense that it is going to come down to a handful of countries. Um, I just really, <laughs> that also kind of concerns me greatly because I don't know that I have much faith in, in leadership to kind of have that vision and also see it through it. It so often feels like, unfortunately, at least here in the U S our political leadership seems to really function around their election cycles. And if they, they really can't seem to think beyond the next election cycle. And so trying to have leadership that has a vision for not just five years, but 10 years, 20 years, 50 years down the line that they're willing to, you know, go out on a limb, put in poly, put in place policy that's going to have that impact down the road. I just don't know if we have that kind of leadership any anymore. Um, it, it's very concerning. Yeah, I'm with you. I think um, so. That's part of. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't see that, <laughs> and it, it hasn't happened. So I I, I don't yeah. you know, I don't think there's any reason to think that suddenly we're going to change that. I think part of part of I think what needs to change is this expectation that it's even um, the right thing to do. You know, America showing up uh, on, you know, in Africa or any other developing country as sort of the economic savior, because, hey, guys, we're here to help. Here's some here's some electricity. It's green, but it only works a third of the time. You're welcome. Right. That whole idea is just the height of environmental arrogance, in in my opinion. And I'm just going to use those words. That's rich people thinking they know better uh, how to how to how to make uh, poor people, you know, how to lift them up. It's just stupid. I mean, let's just be honest with it, right? America shows up with our energy that works a third of the time uh, and they go, well, wait a sec. I, I don't I don't want this. I want the good stuff. I want the stuff that lifted you out of poverty. You say, oh, no, you can't have that anymore. We've, we've decided that it's bad for you. We've decided that. So we're going to be a leader. 
We're going to be it's environmental justice. We're going to call this. We're going to be a world leader and we're going to deny you access to that. Well, who the hell are you to do that? <laughs> so right. that's not leadership. That's arrogance. And I, I view that as one of our big challenges. Uh, look, I think um, one of the best things that we could do as as you know, if I if I were crafting policy I'm, I, and I'm not, but I have in the past in previous lives, I would say you have to abandon that whole idea that we're going to lead the world towards this. We have to acknowledge developing nations want what we have. We have to give them that right and that ability to lift themselves out of poverty. And now we've, we're at the other end of this cycle. We've, we've had ours. That doesn't mean we have to give it all up. It means, yes, we have to, to get greener and we have to slowly modify our grid, but we also have to quit consuming so damn much stuff. We're also the world leaders in consumerism. So start promoting this idea is, Hey, maybe you don't replace your car every two years, folks. Um, and start making that a, a, a national asset. Maybe we don't cut down. Um, maybe we start preserving our own nature and, and really buttressing our, our own ability to suck carbon out of uh, the air. Uh, maybe we spend instead of spending newfangled uh, money on newfangled energy generation, we, we spend our money on newfangled CO2 removal technologies that are currently uh, unavailable. Maybe we just live that and we start uh, declining or we start uh, lowering the impacts of our completely excessive consumerism. And maybe that's the model that we show to the rest of the world, which is, hey, you can lift yourselves out of poverty with this this energy source that's kind of dirty. But once you get there, there's actually a way to help us all maintain this. And I would love to see that out of anybody in the political spectrum. Uh, but you don't really see that too much. So I still have hope. I still have hope by having dialogues like what we're doing and trying to really show our kids that this is possible and you don't need to have the hell scared out of you to actually make progress. I'm still, maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, maybe I'm just naive to think so, but I, I don't think so. I actually believe that I've had a lot of conversations like the ones we're having, which is we just want to know what our options are. We want to know what the truth is. We want to know what our options are. And we don't want to have to go live back in caves in order to achieve them. What is a, I mean, is it, obviously consumerism is a huge problem across the board for us here in, in the U.S. especially. And Look, I'm I'm all for reducing consumerism. I'm a bit of a min minimalist. Uh, you know, I don't <laughs> I kind of dread going to stores and, and things like that. So it wouldn't be a concern to me. But um, it does feel like we're very much have become a disposable society. Everything is temporary and not even just the material things that we consume, but also the information we consume. Everything is like, yeah you know, short format, 15 second clips, like nobody has an attention span, like everything is just, it's, it's almost like it's reprogramming our, our brains uh, slowly as we, as over generations, the way it's being done. So I don't know if that's something that we can change, but I think that would solve not just an energy problem, but in uh, an environmental problem, but a lot of other problems as well, if we could break that cycle. Um, are there ways though, that we can, you know, to wean ourselves off of fossil fuels intelligently? Um, so, like, I, I, look, I think... I mean, other than just stop driving as much, I mean... Yeah, so you, you don't want... Look, public transportation, certainly. I, I'm not saying EVs yeah. are a terrible idea. I think... Um, uh, but look, uh, imagine every company decided, um, you know what? I'm not going to require you to come into work every day, but we're now going to a four-day work week. Just standard. I hear this. I hear this being talked about a lot. Right off the top. 
right? So, yeah. I mean, that's not rocket science. We now have the technology to be able to do this. We're doing this right now. Um, yeah. You can totally manage that, right? So uh, you can, you know, we are in such a, and look, I, I'm guilty of this too. I, I just moved into a new house. We, we need some TVs. And I was like, man, it'll, it'll, I could spend a Sunday redoing this and cutting open my wall and blah, blah, blah. But I can get that TV for 300 bucks at Best Buy, right? So, <laughs> right. so but if that TV was 600 bucks, I'd think about it. Right. So right. think of all the financial levers that could could potentially happen. Imagine um, now I know that, you know, tariffs and these kinds of things. And I'm, I'm not I'm just sort of tossing ideas out here. But sure. imagine part of why everything is so disposable is because it's so dang cheap. Yeah. Right. So imagine if it wasn't, uh, you know, I mean, part of the reason German cars are so <laughs> well engineered is because they never think like that. They think of cars as 30 year investments, right? So those things are built, right? They don't throw these things away. We don't, we think about, you know, cars, you know, I'll give it to my kid. And when our kid gets laughed at because he's driving a five-year-old car, I'll just get him a new one, right? That's because we're Americans. That's what we do. So, right. So, but imagine if everything was suddenly a lot more expensive and, uh, and we we let the we we instead of having all those things be external costs, we internalize them and say, um, you know, hey, these things are now suddenly going to be a lot more expensive. I, I personally have a if I get up on my soapbox regarding social media, I'm pretty sure I could solve um, a lot of the social media problems. <laughs> and this is not a tax. Um, imagine if every single social media account cost money. Right. No more signing up for free. Every time uh, Twitter had someone sign up, it cost them money. They had to pay for it. Why? Why? Because Twitter and Facebook and all these companies now have these massive solar or uh, excuse me, uh, server farms that have these yeah. huge CO2 footprints. So every time someone signs up for free, they're spewing CO2 up into the atmosphere. So, hey, suddenly um, they own the carbon problem and say they own the CO2 problem. So. Nothing is free anymore. Every time I retweet something cost me a buck. Every time a fake, uh, imagine what would happen, right? Imagine what would happen to Mark Zuckerberg. All of a sudden, you know, 10 million accounts got signed up in a month and it cost him money right off the top for every single thing. You're saying it would cost the company money, not the user. I would say it would cost all of us money. Okay. Mm. Nothing is free anymore because, um, I mean, look, if we're going to start penalizing everyone for our CO2 input, books, packs, or if we're going to start internalizing all these external costs that no one pays for now, then we're all going to pay for them, right? So I will think twice about generating a fake email so I can order those shoes to be delivered by Saturday that I'll never use again, right? Right. And so all those fake accounts, all those bot farms, they all go away because, hey, guess what? It's costing a hell of a lot of people a hell of a lot of money, not, not the least of which are the big tech companies. So I'm using that as sort of a crazy example because it all comes down to money. Okay. So what's the yeah. key that massive consumerism is stuff gets expensive, just like gas, right? Right. <laughs> just well, like that's gas. The, that's I'm not talking a nickel. I'm talking about a double. If that $300 yeah. TV now costs you 900 bucks, you won't buy it. You just won't. It, uh, it'll, it'll stop. Um, so there's lots of levers that we could use to pull that. I'm not, again, I'm not an economic economist and I'm just throwing that kind of stuff out there. But, um, um, I mean, this is where the idea, I think that you can, that you can somehow maintain this level of mass consumerism and still somehow save the planet. They're, they're mutually incompatible. 
So I don't yeah. think you can consume. The, I don't think the answer to mass consumerism um, and CO2 problems because of that is more consumerism <laughs> by just better products. Right. I don't think you can do that. I, the math just doesn't work. So. Yeah, the consumerism is a huge problem also from the standpoint of just plastics, microplastics. And I, I, I heard in a, uh, from a doctor that was given an interview on, on this um, a while back that in one week, the average American consumes a credit card worth of microplastics in their just diet water. You know, it's, it's just in everything. It's in our blood system. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, plastics have been such a terrible, terrible thing. And again, like you said, it's a petroleum product, right? Like, and then, and there are a whole process there <laughs> that's emitting CO2 anyway. So, um, doubly bad before and after, um, you mentioned also like CO2 emissions. And I was kind of curious about two things. Um, one would be carbon tax credits are talked about a lot, but I don't know if they really make sense to me. Are the, can you give some uh, clarity on, on what exactly they are, how they're supposed to work and like, do they actually, would they actually work? I don't know. It, se it seems a little bit to me like more political theater, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, I think that, so. The idea here is um, make external costs internal, right? Um, not allow people. So I use the Facebook example, right? So, mm -hmm. um, right. So not just give them a free pass, right? If, if people are using your product, if you're building stuff and you're, you're emitting more and you're emitting and no one is paying for that, but we actually are paying for that because of reduced health and things like that that we start allocating, um, uh, you know, those costs to people. So, so I get why it's being discussed because politicians love taxes, right? Hey, uh, more people to blame. And the idea behind it is like, maybe you've heard this. There's 100 companies in the world that are responsible for like 90% of CO2 emissions. Yeah. Right? And so, so at the very headline level, at the uh, at the clickbait level, people will go, well, oh, great. Just shut those 100 companies down and we're good. Right. And that that's that's as much thought as goes into it. So all you got to do is tax the bejesus out of those 100 companies. I'm, I, I, the numbers aren't exactly right, of course, but that's the that's the way I think. So tax the hell out of them, tax them out of business or now we'll have enough money to to fix all the problems that they cause. Well, those companies are like companies like Exxon. They make everything. <laughs> Exxon isn't just making, you know, it's not like just big Exxon headquarters is just sitting there cranking stuff and spitting, you know, stuff into the sky. Exxon by itself doesn't consume very much. They make stuff that we all consume. Right. So, so um, it's sort of silly, right? So in that, in, in, if the idea is, We'll just tax the worst emitters and then our problem is solved. Well, uh, no, because they don't, you know, all they're going to do is, is pass that along to us. And at some point, eventually we're going to be paying for it, um, which means that we'll just drive less. Right. So we will take control of it ourselves. So um, that's one aspect of it. Can it work? I, I, who knows, because it hasn't been tried. It's so unpopular for that exact reason, which is there's an idea that if you just tax a hundred companies, 
that this all problem gets solved and it's just a dumb idea. That part of it's dumb. Now, whether or not, so, but the idea about making people pay for the damage that they cause through some sort of a tax is probably not a bad one, right? Because I would certainly think more about it if I had to choose between going to the, the uh, you know, throwing that TV away, right? And it was going right. to cost me a, a, some sort of a tax to do that versus I might hold on to that thing for another extra year or two. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I would start to, to make some different choices based on that. Um, interestingly enough, so the famous, you know, Columbia, Columbia University, the famous journalism school that has produced the blueprint for how to um, communicate what I call climate death and how to label people who don't think um, <laughs> like they do, how to how to label climate skeptics as climate deniers, and they've got a whole blueprint for how they do that. Their, their corollary, their law school has a whole climate attribution center. So all these things you're hearing now about things we're starting to blame on climate, whether or not they're true, we're just starting to blame stuff on, and it's been going on for a while. Um, like, um, and in my book, I did an inventory of some of the crazier ones, I think. Well, so we're now blaming fat horses, Small horses, pygmy sheep. Uh, there was Boy Scout tornado deaths, um, bad grades, obesity, poverty in general is all. You know, now they're starting to just label it as climate change because the the goal here is to uh, this law center, the Columbia uh, Law Center. It, their whole structure is built set up to try to go and hunt down CO two blamers and the the strategy or CO two. Um, uh, criminals, right? And so their strategy is there's a hundred of the really bad guys, the hundred oil companies, we're just going to go sue the hell out of them and make them pay for all of that. But, you know, they've lost all their cases in court because the, the judges are going, what are you talking about? You know, it's uh, CO2 gets emitted over millions of sources, namely us over, you know, decades. It's not them doing it. It's us doing it. So get the hell out of here. And so, but there's a whole, there's a whole movement. So that's why you're seeing everything get blamed on, um, on climate change. So the idea here is if you just label it as a problem with climate change, then somehow there's going to be some bucket of money that can be used. Uh, when, when we catch those bad guys, there's some bucket of money that we can use to fix it. But where do they, where's that bucket of money coming from? Well, it's I mean, coming I know, from nowhere now. I know we just print money, it seems like, out of thin air now, or change the numbers in the computer, I guess, is what they actually do at the Fed. But yeah, no, they're, I mean, the idea is that they're going to, they're going to go hunt down the Exxons and make them play for all, pay that for all the climate damage they've caused. And they're going to hunt down all these oil companies and hunt down all of these big uh, uh, companies and they're going to sue them in court and, you know, the courts are going to allow us to to there, you know, to to tap into the big buckets of money to help pay for all this stuff. But, you know, it's been it's so far been a complete failure. It's been a complete shutout. Yeah. And to me, it doesn't even make logical sense because we're using all the stuff um, that these oil companies are producing. And until we as a society and as an individual are willing to give up all of these products that are made with oil and petroleum, then what the hell's the point, right? It's yeah, but I think for the average person, they, I mean, honestly, I think the average person is just trying to get by. I don't think they have the time probably to sit down and have a conversation like you and I are having now and, and think about these things in detail. And I think for them, 
you know, the solution just has to be presented in front of them. You know, if all they have at the store is to, to, to use it are plastic bags, for example, they're just going to keep using plastic bags until they go to the store one day and all of a sudden there's reusable cloth bags that they have to keep up with and there are no more plastic bags there. And I think that's the kind of change it's, it's, it's going to take. I just, I think for most people, it's just so overwhelming. They're like, I don't even know where to begin on this. Climate change is beyond my control. Uh, climate is beyond my control. It's a global matter, um, which, is, which is frustrating because, I, you know, I, I, again, it comes down to the leadership. I don't know how that leadership is, 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 is going to make those changes and implement those changes. And maybe it's not, you know, look, I don't think government is super efficient <laughs> and here in California, they tend to overregulate in, in, in many ways. And in my opinion, and uh, so I, I'm not sure that they're the answer themselves, but I think, you know, some sort of combination like here, here's a good example, like in, in my industry in cannabis, the state of California right now is trying to, well, they haven't done it yet, but they're talking about implementing uh, a, a, a law that would basically ban the traditional indoor growing methods for cultivation. So it would, you wouldn't be able to use high pressure sodium or metal halide, which are the traditional indoor growing light bulbs. And they would force the entire industry to only use LED. I'm against, I'm against this for a few reasons. One, I think it's uh, people ought to have the option to run their business however they think they make, can make the best product. I think that should be up to them. Um, but it brings an interesting question to light because if the government has the right to do that to this industry, could the government also not come into the fossil fuel industry and say, look, you no longer can, can uh, produce, we're no longer going to do oil. You can't do that anymore. You have to switch and, and ha or maybe not say we're going to end oil, but say, you're an energy producer. You're no longer an oil company. You have to divest and no more than 50% of the production you put out can be from fossil fuels. All the rest of it has to come from some sort of renewable, clean energy source. Yeah. Is, 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 and, and look, I'm not an, I'm not a huge fan of giving the government more power over, over private companies, but um, it brings an interesting solution because it seems like they're already kind of stepping in on other industries. Could they not do the same thing here? Well, they, they did that. They've done that in California. Okay. That's that. And that's, that's what the, the California public utilities commissions um, that's their job. That's exactly what they do. When the government says um, thou shalt have renewables at 40%, then the CPUC says, okay, PG&E do it, show me your plan. And if you don't meet it, then I penalize the hell out of you. And so they do that. That and that's that's uh, okay. so. Um, so there. Look, there's pluses and minuses uh, uh, with that. I think um, I'm I'm not, I'm never going to say that government has no role. I I just of course I, they do. Um, and look, we um, uh, you know I mean we've done some we've done some good because we have required a lot of our capacity here in, in California to, to be better. Solar is better than coal, for example. Uh, you know, so, so it's, it, we've, 
and that in large part part was driven by uh, government and regulations and helped shape that industry. So, uh, so there's a role, no doubt about it. So yes. And they, they've actually done that. And now that there's, there's just some repercussions or some consequences of things because nothing is perfect. Um, look, we did that in the early days, my first um, back when I was first starting in solar, my first product that I was out trying to sell, this was 1999. Imagine this was a fast charging uh, electric vehicle station, literally. It looked like a gas pump. We were trying to sell it to gas stations. We had gotten uh, a contract, my company, to build a few of these for General Motors because they we built also the first electric car for General Motors. So this was back in the you know late nineties. So we had this product, of, you know, this was a classic, a product looking for a solution <laughs> or a solution looking for a problem to solve. So, um, and at the time, the California Air Resources Board, CARB, was mandating that uh, cars get cleaner. And so we are, so all of a sudden, you know, we had a contract to develop the first EV for General Motors um, to start doing this. And of course, you needed charging stations. So we built the charging stations. So we built these charging stations. Um, and then we went out and to try to sell these. And hey, guess what? There's no vehicles. So, so we went to the government and the government was just pounding on us and saying, you know, you guys got to do this or bad stuff's going to happen. We said, well, to hell with you. We did it. We built, yes. we built infrastructure and Hey, guess what? There's no cars to charge folks. We did our job. You didn't do your job. So you got to give us an exemption. And so they did. Um, so, you know, where's the line in this? You know, they, they, they regulated some goodness, but then, because it's government and because they're inefficient and they're bloated. And for all those, the bad reasons, it just didn't work the way that we thought. And so it caused all kinds of other problems. So I don't have the answer to this balance. This is sort of an existential question. Like what's the yeah. right amount of government? I don't know. I'm not anti-government. I just, I don't have much faith that they will get things done quickly. Right. Uh, and then on the climate front, it's just, let's hold up the last 50 years of, of progress and have we made any? And so you have to, you have to sort of wonder if um, you know, if, if we can afford to wait for the, the next big international meeting, that's going to have us sign some, some awesome sounding piece of paper that no one will ever do anything with. So I, I just don't see how any of that's going to happen. It, 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 you touched on something a few minutes ago when you when you said, uh, you know, when you were talking about, um, you know, commercialism and consumerism. And it really feels like, you know, when it comes down to it, that the power is really up to up to the individuals, like if the individuals and I know, again, like I already kind of re rebutted what I'm about to say already, um, but it feels like if we can find a way to get people to demand different choices, you know, businesses will cater to what the demand is. And I think you hit on it right there with that, with your, 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 what you were talking about there with charging stations. I, I, I don't know how, you know, it's, it's going to be a huge educational process though, to get people to kind of switch and realize that they need to demand something different and start making different choices and it's difficult to do that because oftentimes the cleaner, healthier options are oftentimes more more expensive, unfortunately, yeah. um, for the average person than than the cheap solution, which is oftentimes bad for their health and the environment both. Yeah, um, and I mean that's of course true, and I think um, 
Look, I think um, on the good news side, you know, we've now, I, I don't imagine we're going to go back in uh, anytime soon where um, we're just going to go, you know what, who, who gives a damn about the climate? All right? So, right. So that's the good news is we now have awareness. And so, and we can pass that on. Um, I, I personally have a problem when awareness becomes panic and hysteria and results in mental health issues with kids, then, then we've gone too far, but it's not going backwards. So that's the good news. Right. And so now we actually rate, we, we look at companies when they do stuff, we now understand that we have choice over whether or not we choose to frequent that company, uh, whether or not we choose to buy their products. We, we exert that will all the time and, and companies that, maybe look on paper similar. We're looking at two very simple things. And one has a different approach to the climate that's better than the other. We will take that into consideration. So we've made lots of progress on that front. But look, I um, here a few years ago when, when, when it became very obvious that social media is now starting to censor um, people that they don't that don't subscribe to their own political philosophy. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, and now the, now the big story these days is the government is deciding, is pressuring Google to, to limit their searches on abortion, right? So imagine this slippery slope, but they're also um, uh, pressuring, they're kicking people off platforms, LinkedIn in particular, uh, for, for saying something that isn't the party line regarding the climate. So mm-hmm. this exact conversation that you and I are having if we were to dare to put it on LinkedIn, we are now in their, their radars. But a couple of years ago when Facebook first did it and I was like, are you serious? There's some dude that's somewhere that's going to decide whether or not I, I agree with something a politician said, he's going to kick me off this. I just kicked, I just said done. Yeah. Done with Facebook, done with Twitter, never going back. I'm never going to do that again. So I'm not going to wait for Congress to try to change the social media landscape. I just exerted my own. Now, people were like, oh, my God, how are you going to keep in touch with my your friends? And how do you I was like, you know, I'm old enough to to know. I remember a world when there wasn't even computer. Right. I will figure it out. I used to actually used to have to call pe- girls for dates and hope that I didn't get their dad on the phone. Right. <laughs> right? So, so I will survive. I will adapt. I'm just fine. Thank you very much. So I think we are now to that point where we have a lot of we have a lot of choice. We have tons of ability to mobilize and communicate. So if someone is doing something really stupid, uh, some company that really sticks it in their mouth, you know, and, and just makes and screws up, I think um, uh, we have the ability to make that change quickly. And, and on the positive side, too, when people are doing good things, um, we have that ability now to 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 heighten that more than ever. Yeah. So, I mean, look, technology has done some great things. It's made communication, made us more connected. But uh, as you noted there, I, I, I do think everybody would benefit a little bit from an anxiety level standpoint and a mental health standpoint if they would take a step back, at least take a day a week and not be on social media and not be on the Internet, just kind of unplug a little bit. I know that when I when I left the States um, many years ago to go overseas and, and work, uh, the first about month I was there, so I didn't have, a, I didn't bother to get a phone. You know, everybody I was working with, I was right around anyway. 
It was the most free time. I was so relaxed. There was, I didn't ever had to worry about is my phone ringing? Is there a message I've missed? Yeah. And, and now I came back over to the States and it's like, you know, I'm right back to, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I really try not to, but it's still one of the first things I grab and check. Is there anything I need to address, you know, and, and that's not a good way to start your day. Um, it's absolutely true. It's, um, yeah. and, and you just, you just hit it, right? That's, we all do that. We're all guilty. Yeah, of that. yeah for sure. Well, I want to be, uh, we've, you've been very gracious with your time with me here this, this afternoon. So I want to be respectful of that and really appreciate, um, you taking the time to chat with me. Um, I think it's been very informative. And I think again, most importantly, as you touched on earlier, just having these conversations, I know that, uh, obviously social media and online, um, they do, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, they make it very difficult for people just to have open conversations. I mean, I don't think either one of us, uh, it's why I wanted to open the show kind of the way I did. I was like, look, we're, I'm not professing to be an expert on any of this, but it's worth, I'm a rational human being. I live in society and I want to have conversations about this. So I have a better understanding about it. And hopefully other people will have a better understanding about it. And we can all, you know, make more intelligent, rational decisions towards one another with the, with that additional knowledge. So I appreciate you being here with me. Yeah, no, I, and I, I'll just jump onto that just because I think, you know, most of us are right. Most of us are rational. Most of us genuinely want to do the right thing. I, I don't know yeah. of anyone who's just out there smoking, smoking sequoia trees and saying, boy, I can't wait to kill all the, uh, the horned <laughs> owls that are upstairs. Right. So, right. Most of us are <laughs> rational and want to have this discussion. We're, 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 uh, uh, data <laughs> overloaded, but information starved these days. And so just being able to talk and really sort through this and, we don't have to agree. We don't have to agree on most things, but, but I still firmly believe that we can solve this kind of stuff just by doing what we're doing. Just talk, be reasonable, uh, be willing. I'm totally willing to be wrong. And which is why I wrote this book, which is like, I'm going to have climate scientists tell me that I'm stupid or all these things. And I'd say, well, great. Let's, let's triangulate. Let's get better. Right. Let's have the most of us because at the end of the day, I mean, let's be, let's be candid about this. They're still going to hand you and I the check and it's a big one. And yeah. I don't care if you understand it or not, you're going to pay it. And so I view it as my responsibility. Well, if I'm going to have to make a choice between uh, paying something like this, an insurance policy that could come, you know, 30 years from now versus maybe sending my kid to, to school next year, I'm going to ask some questions. And so I encourage us all to do that. Thank you for having me. It's been a yeah. pleasure. For sure. Yeah. Before I let you go, I, I keep, I've stared at that cracked up background behind you uh, the whole time. And uh, given the fact that I just got a notice telling me that we're all supposed to reduce our water here in California and you have uh, liquid eight going on, um, I just kind of wanted to, to, to ask you, you know, what, what, what is that project about and um, what are your thoughts on the current, before I let you go, what are your thoughts on the current water situation here is, should we start looking at how to desalinate the ocean? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I've heard, you know, people who are water people, People. So I'm a, I'm an energy guy who's turned into a, a pseudo water guy. And so my short answer to your question is, um, you know, I, I'm partially, I'm living what I've been saying to you, which is liquid Age is a company I started to pay people to save water. So, um, both homeowners and business owners will pay you to save water. We'll monitor your usage baseline, and then we will, 
uh, calculate savings based on that baseline. We'll turn those savings into uh, water conservation credits. We'll get those audited by a third party and then we'll offer those up into a marketplace, kind of like an Amazon marketplace. So companies who are looking to zero out their water footprints for um, for brand reasons, for ESG reasons, for for sustainability reasons can buy these credits. So you're essentially, if you're a big company, you outsource your uh, your components now. Now you can start to outsource some of your water savings to other people. So that's the idea behind this. And uh, we've got our product in development. So um, that's that's what I'm trying to do. So yeah, it's a it's a good background and it's a it's an interesting concept. It's similar to what we're doing with carbon credits. I, I took it from right. I stole it from that industry and tried to modify it towards water. Um, but the water guys will tell you that uh, that this is long overdue restrictions and. I agree. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of redoing my backyard and, and we've got, I've got this dog and, and all this grass that I'm like, you know, you know, we got to start living it. Right. I got to make this choice rather than yeah. replace this and commit to uh, this lawn. I'm going to go half sort of a zero scape and half with some artificial turf. And I'm just going to be done with that. Let's, let's be part of the solution on this just because, you know, this is the real, this is the front line, right? We're making these choices yeah. every single day. We know we have a product, water problem. Um, I can't wait for the government to solve it because they won't. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, they That's will it. eventually, but, but between, you know, in the next five years, we could still be in some problems. So, so I'll just yeah. make a different choice and, and do it that way. Awesome. Well, tell everybody where they can learn more about Liquid 8 and and, and yourself. Uh, I know you're not on the socials, but wh- where can they find out more information? So with Liquid 8, I'm on LinkedIn at uh, Liquid 8 Water. So that's uh, that's a good place to find out about it. Climate Surety is my, uh, oh, you can't really see it because it's. Uh, there you go. Climatesurity.com. Yes, I invented a word, but Climatesurity.com. And um, uh, I'll be selling that on Amazon here at the end of the summer once uh, once I get all the the, the final parts of it nailed down, but, um, and, um, just continuing discussion on LinkedIn, like, like we found each other and hopefully just ongoing dialogue. Awesome. I really appreciate it. I look forward to the book. Uh, look forward to checking that out and, uh, yeah, I appreciate you being here with me today. Thanks so much. Enjoyed it. Have a great yeah. weekend. Thank you. You too. Thanks again for joining another episode of The Evolved Idiots. If you like the content, please like and subscribe. Follow us on social media. And until next time, peace and love to the people of the planet Earth.